0: In part three of Bad Detective, The Life and Crimes of Roger Rogerson, Daily Telegraph crime editor Mark Murray speaks with former New South Wales Assistant Police Commissioner Clive Small about Rogerson's plot to kill Small and the then Commissioner of Police Tony Lauer, his connections to major crime figures in Sydney and the shooting of drug dealer Jamie Gow, which brought him to justice
1: once more. You received a phone call in about 1990. You were a superintendent of police and you received a phone call from police headquarters, didn't you? Which yes. Which was not great news. It was the suggestion that Rogerson was thinking about having you killed or in fact killing you. Um, I don't think there was any thinking about <laughs> it. Uh,
0: I received a phone call from the commissioner's office at police headquarters saying that they had received information that Rogerson was planning on killing me um, and in fact Tony Lauer
1: Right. Okay. at
0: the time. Now I didn't receive any information relating to Tony Lauer or where the information came from, but the proposal from headquarters were they were going to place police guards on my home. Right. Now, I thought about it for a few hours yeah. and rang them back and said, look, this isn't going to work. Um, I've got two young children, I've got a wife, takes the children to school, takes them shopping, goes out and around. Um, this simply is not going to work. They can. Um, where are the guards going to go? Are they going to go to school with my children or right. go shopping? It's going to be far they... too intrusive, I think. It's going to be intrusive. Or are they going to simply stay at the house where they won't be for a quarter of the time, mm-hmm. say? So I came up with a proposal that um, rather than doing that, could I have access to a police vehicle 24 hours a day, seven days a week to use Use it basically as the family mm-hmm. car. Could I also get... Approval for my wife to use the police vehicle. So, as I said, it became the family so car. The,
1: there was a, like an overt police presence, and I think there's some cov- covert sort of things done, and the threat, the threat never really eventuated.
0: That's right. And uh, we used the car seven days a week. Right. My wife was permitted to drive it. Um, and it also had a police radio uh-huh. in it, so that if anything did happen, it was just a matter of picking up, pressing a button, saying, Help.
1: Right. And It's funny, you said you're telling me that. A couple of years later, you in fact came across Roger and you, you brought this this up with him at, at one stage with Rogerson, didn't you?
0: Well, I was um, in Elizabeth Street uh, one day just walking down and uh, I bumped Roger and he was with two other people. Um, and his first comments were um, something like, um, ''Hello, how are you going?'' I said, ''Hello.'' He said, um, ''Well, you haven't got to worry about me shooting you now. ''I've got a busted shoulder and I can't lift the gun.'' Yeah, I was no, joking. It, that it was joking, but it also in the joke, he made some comments which indicated he knew where I lived.
1: Yeah, I, I, and like in detail, he seemed it, to know even the layout of the street and it, he, proximity to to a, a park nearby. And that's right. Like that.
0: he, he he made the comment about the um, location in connection with uh, his shoulder made him he was, because of his broken shoulder incapable. He, he of was incapable of lifting and taking aim with a firearm.
1: Right, so.
0: I but I said, in fairness, he, he said it in a joking manner and quite open and uh, we shook hands when we left. Oh, really?
1: Was that the last <laughs> time you've seen That's him? That's the last time I've seen him, yes. And there's no doubt that, that over the last well, decade and a half, he's kept up enormous criminal contacts, hasn't he? He he has. He, he's kept uh, very significant contacts. I've been he, with him when he's been able to ring Mick Gatto, a number of, of, of very well-connected people. and he 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 wasn't passive, I don't think, in... In his relationships with a lot of um,
0: no, no, he wasn't. He, gangs as well. I think he, he remained as a um, uh, for quite a long time. Um, he remained as a consultant to a number of major crime figures who's still around Sydney. Um, now that consultancy, I don't know exactly how much. I've heard right. different figures from five hundred to a thousand dollars a week to five hundred to thousand dollars a month. Right, which just put him on call if needed. But I think that stopped uh, quite a few years ago. And if you look at Roger's times, uh, I think um, the last one was. <coughs> me. The last one was about two thousand and five. And I think that's when he was jailed. He was jailed for a time there, but then he'd had a previous jail sentence sure, about he... five or six years earlier. He did two stints. Two, in two jail. stints. And um, I think that. Um, Uh, Both those stints, when you take it that he's in jail, he's got no income coming in, um, his wife's... I'm not sure whether she was working or not, but I think that really put him on the road to uh, being broke. Right. And those court cases... And the court cases as well.
1: A lot of people say, where did all the money go? Go. And, one, he lived fairly well. I know, you know, he went to good restaurants and everything. His children went to private schools, um, and then later he... I said he had all those legal costs he, had, yes. he was constantly um in court in the 80s and 90s and even i think there was he was um there was an attempt to charge him over trying to bribe a police officer over in south australia yes. so he was battling a number of legal legal costs so and as i said he he had uh, he had property that he didn't he never yeah. lived flashy no. but he lived well and he he, lived well. he had property and i think Unlike other criminals who like to throw their money around and wealth, Rogerson was very clever in keeping a low profile. I think that was half his act. Was it, it, it was. And uh, I think what is an indication of uh, a reduction in his
0: finances is that he had a, for a long time, several, quite a few decades, he had a weekender up on the central coast. That's right, yeah. Uh, it was only a smallish place. Long I Jetty, understand. which
1: he used to talk long about way, quite yeah. a lot. Of and work he
0: sold that. that. And I think that was an
1: indication of um, times were getting tough. Right. So this is the last chapter. Rogerson will probably... Well, he will die in jail with his conviction for this murder. Well, you can we
0: keep talking about the murder. What we forget is that there is a murder plus there is a purchase of three kilos of ice. Yes. Now, depending on who you talk to and who you're selling to and buying from and all that, that uh, could be anywhere from mm-hmm. about 300000 to half a million dollars in cash. If you're on selling it... It could be a million dollars or so, broken down. So, I think the motive here was: we're in financial trouble; we've yeah. got to get cash,
1: and that was it. Just to finish up, that's. I think you've been involved in law enforcement for you know, decades, you know, and you you're involved in, in with the um, led the task force that locked up Ivan Malat, the backpacker yeah. killer. You've done numerous criminal gangs. I think you've been involved in. Um, organised crime and locking up, you know, know about the Calabrians and the Mafia. Where would you rate Rogerson as in the evil scale? I mean, he's a very different person to Ivan Milat, but he would you rate him still as one of the most evil men that you've probably um, been involved in investigating?
0: Certainly, and I think what's interesting about his character <clears throat> is that um, up until the time of the shooting of Michael Drury, I think uh, Roger basically thought he was invincible. He got over the Lanfranchi shooting. Um, uh, as you indicated, I would think to be blunt, I don't think too many people were concerned that Lanfranchi had been shot. That's right, yeah. He, w- he, w- um, he was the nasty person himself. Yeah. So I can understand the public even saying,
1: well, good riddance. Yeah, that's that of part of that Dirty Harry yeah. image. Yes, that, yes. You know. So what? Um, but
0: he, he saw himself as being supported by other senior people and quite a lot of others and uh, becoming the kingpin in the police. Um, Bad decision-making, whatever, um, led to the Drury shooting, his involvement in that. He was very lucky to escape conviction, but that was over a series of matters that occurred over a number of years uh, that caused that, uh, or that increased his chances. Um, he had a bit of luck along the way, didn't he, he in he, those 80s particularly he'd seen. Exactly. And I think what happened also is that a lot of police thought, oh, look, he might have cheated to get a conviction. Right. He might have green-lighted a bit here or done this. But he was getting very good convictions and they mm-hmm. were having an impact. So when he got um, the allegations moved to a more serious level, if I can put it that mm-hmm. way, of shooting a policeman or being involved in the shooting... I don't think a lot of people could believe it. No, well... The, and they understood his cheating, if you like, or the green the lighting bits and verbling, pieces of the and stuff. and stuff. Um, normal. Uh, but, but I don't think they could... A lot of people could accept this next move to the, yeah. being involved in the shooting and then all the other things that were alleged to have happened. And afterwards. And but I think
1: the, th- the killings probably continued. Like
0: He... Um, Yes, and and he had a lot of support still. Um, I won't say physical... I mean, he had a lot of uh, moral support. Uh, He had a bit of um, actual support from others, Mm. Um, and he had a lot of support from within the criminal community. The other thing, too, he did, he tended to stand back, which reduced the likelihood of him having enough evidence to charge him with anything.
1: But he is a serial killer when you think now he... He shot Lan Franchi, shot Butch Burns, Jamie Gow, and there's a number of others. So, by the definition, it's Roger Rogerson, serial killer.
0: Exactly. And I've got to say that whilst I appreciate he's getting old, we're all getting old, yeah. um, but uh, he's mid-70s now, and he was in about 73 when the shooting of Gow occurred, I still have real difficulties with what I've heard about the trial and the admissions and what happened and that, Understanding how he could have botched things so badly given his previous history but also uh, have got, um, have difficulty understanding how he became such a close friend of Glenn McNamara when um, I think it's fair to say Glenn McNamara is a person you have no respect for even
1: when he was in the police. That's all. Well, you're not the only one that said that. Nearly everyone to I've spoken to have said that and that I think, again, it's kind of like as clever as Rogerson is, and we know he's mm. got a very high IQ, he made some very poor choices. One was Nettie, eventually, mm. and then again now here with McNamara. So whether it's out of desperation or there's just that little flaw in his character that somehow... I
0: I've, I've, I, think uh, that the or the only explanation I can give and put together um, be t- of the connection between McNamara and Rogerson is I know that in 2009 or thereabouts... McNamara, who didn't know Rogerson in the police, sought him out. Right. And he sought him out because he heard they were both writing books at that time and he wanted to see what they could work out. You're going to have a lot of time and, to write one together was, now. Uh, yes. <laughs> and, um, and that's where it began. Right. I just can't understand it, how it continued, given that they're such two different characters and their background in terms of planning and preparation and uh, even their ability to give evidence in court is so different. I just can't, can't I'm deeply understanding how it got together, except to say the only explanation I can come up with is they were both in desperate need of money.
1: To try and cover everything that Rogerson's been accused of or involved in is almost impossible. So I thank you very much. It's been good to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. (laughs)
0: podcast, Faith on Trial, looks into Hillsong, both in Australia and the U.S., and takes both the listener and hosts on unexpected twists and turns in the story of Brian Houston and the singing preachers.
1: There are two incidents involving Pastor Brian.
0: The Australian journalists uncovered a litany of alleged criminal behavior in the megachurch. Financial gifts were being given to the leaders of the church. Listen to Faith on Trial, Hillsong, ad-free on
1: Crimax Plus